These are the confessions of American Christians repenting of American Christianity. This is The World We Made. So I want to hear more about your experiences, Tim. What was it like as a pastor early on dealing with all this stuff hitting the culture? Instead of going into the PCA or the OPC or the E-Free or any of the known evangelical denominations at the time or into non-denominationalism, I went into the PCUSA to be a pastor, and immediately I got hit by rank, filthy, stinking paganism. When I look back on going into the PCUSA, which at the time was mainline denomination, at the time it was filled with evangelical leaders, filled with evangelical leaders, the godlessness of the PCUSA was mind-boggling. My wife and I had our babies at home because we had a doctor friend who said that the hospital was a dangerous place to have a newborn baby. (laughs) So we had them at home. So the PCUSA was large enough and rich enough that they had their self-funded health care system. So it was not a part of any corporation, any anything. It was run by the church for the church and its pastors. And so I called them because Mary was pregnant with Hannah. And I said to the Midwest representative, I said, hey, I'm just calling to make sure that you're going to go ahead and cover us having a home birth. At that time, I think a hospital birth would have been about three to 5,000. A home birth would have been about 500. And so he said, that's an interesting, I haven't had that question before. I'll have to check on that. So I explained to him it would probably be cheaper and that it would be very safe. And the statistics indicated that there was no larger risk as long as it was not some sort of a specialized danger situation breach, previous problems delivering because of pelvis size or something like that. So anyhow, he said, well, I'll check on that. And at the very end, this little gremlin inside of me knocked my skull from the inside. And I woke up and I said, now, before we hang up, can I ask you a question? I said, if my wife and I wanted to have an abortion, would you pay for that? And he said, I don't understand. I said, well, you're going to have to check on whether or not you'll pay for us to have the baby. What if we decide that we want to get rid of the baby? What if we want to kill the baby? Then will you cover that? Oh, yes, sir. Yes, yes. We absolutely, we cover (laughs) abortions. Wow. And I was just silent. And I was like, nowadays, I probably would have said, well, isn't that ironic? But irony is a euphemism there, too. So I broadcasted across the church. Nobody in the denomination knew it. And I want to say that I got woke. I got real woke. I remember my fury. And over the course of the next, I don't know how many years, it was like I saw that the emperor had no clothes. I saw that the evangelicals in that denomination were utterly corrupt, that they could not give a rip about their self-funded health care program paying for abortions they paid lip service to it but i was in the trenches they couldn't care less and then i knew we'd have people that would come to general assembly to testify in the committee hearings trying to get them to repeal their promotion of abortion 
And so I got to know a number of people from a number of those churches. One of the guys that came was a man who owned a whole bunch of MRI clinics in SoCal, and he was filthy rich. I got to know him because I insulted him about his Rolex watch, and <laughs> I mocked him, and so we became friends. And he was an elder in a church, which I won't double down on, but it was one of the stellar evangelical, filthy rich, tall steeple churches in the country. And he would talk about the men committing adultery on the session of the church and the knowledge of the pastor. He would tell me that he would gone to the senior pastor to tell him about it. And so what you have to realize is that you don't look at abortion as being any separate sin. Abortion, homosexuality, sodomy, birth control, adultery, fornication. The churches were filled with these things on the sessions and pastors knew not to screw with a good thing and so i think that the absence of witness about abortion was absolutely normal when you're not going to discipline adultery that's known in the church and furthermore abortion has to do with women and their privates and i'm sorry to put it like that but it's a reality that as a pastor you're dealing with, anytime you deal with the sin of a woman, you know that your danger factor has just shot through the roof. Because it never looks good to punish a woman, to question her, especially if you're dealing with her body. Here's an idea. A pastor should get up and talk about what a woman shouldn't do inside her body to the baby inside her body. Are we all feeling the pain, the mm -hmm. shame, the the awkwardness. Mm -hmm. And so I think what we have to realize is that the church had become decadent. It had a form of godliness, but it denied the power thereof. And so in the PCUSA, I learned how superficial and hypocritical evangelicalism was at the highest levels with the most famous people. And I learned about feminism. I learned that evangelicals had nothing to say against women exercising authority over men. Now, if they were preaching or they're teaching Sunday school among evangelicals, they would have mm -hmm. paid lip service, but they had no will to fight heresy, to fight feminism, to fight abortion, to fight adultery, to fight any of these things. It's not that they didn't say in the pulpit that these things were wrong, but there was no ability among evangelicals to say no to anything in a way that raised the risk factor. The risk aversion of evangelicalism was mind-boggling. Evangelicalism was so fat, so rich, so loud, so successful at that time. When I went into ministry, this would have been in the early 80s, that I just couldn't bear it. I couldn't bear it. And so everywhere I turned, I took note of what hypothetically, ostensibly, people were committed to opposing and would sometimes say they opposed but never any discipline, never any warnings, nothing written opposing it. And so I, what I learned was that C. Everett Koop and Schaefer did turn evangelism around so that it now paid lip service to being opposed to abortion. But there was no heart in it. The closest it really got to opposing abortion was starting crisis pregnancy centers. But of course, you can give diapers to a crisis pregnancy center and provide counseling to women in crisis pregnancy without ever saying no. There's no risk in doing that. At that time, mm. there wasn't. It was just a yay, yay, happy, happy thing 
to be involved with the Crisis Pregnancy Center, but the people that volunteered at Crisis Pregnancy Centers were not allowed to go down to Planned Parenthood and pick up. Hmm. Did you know that? No. Yeah, they were not allowed. You could not volunteer. You could not be a part of the board of the Christian Action Council's pregnancy centers. You could not say no and be allowed to say yes to the Crisis Pregnancy Center. I suppose you could give money, but you could not be a public face with the Crisis Pregnancy Center and go down and call women to allow you to help them have their child and raise it or to adopt or to warn them against killing their baby. And so over the course of my lifetime, what I really came to see was that there was the curtain and then there was the behind the curtain. And there was no attempt in evangelicalism to try to make what was in front of the curtain and behind the curtain authentically similar. I don't know how to put it. You guys have a better way of putting it than I do. I just, I just realized that people did not have any willingness to acknowledge that the enemy is not out there. The enemy is in here. The World We Made will be back with more of Tim's story of his first years of engaging with the church on abortion right after this interrupting segment with Nathan and Ben. <laughs> hey, welcome to an interrupting segment with Nathan and Ben. I'm Nathan. I'm Ben. Hey. You said it was an interrupting segment. Oh, Ben. Well, what shall we call this segment, which is going to be a lot of statistics about a really awful subject? Well, Nathan, back when I was a kid, I liked a fantasy novel called Mrs. Frisbee and the Rats of Nim. So, hey, why don't we call this segment? We're in a tizzy about these stats of sin. Oh, Ben, you are a card. <laughs> Is this an episode of Sound of Sanity now? You, you mean our podcast available wherever podcasts are downloadable? Uh, no. Just checking. So let's get to the stats. This show is called The World We Made, and we've already talked some about how we got here, but where exactly are we? Let me ask a very simple question. How many babies have been killed since abortion got mainstreamed in the 20th century? It's impossible to count. Uh, that's not helpful. It's true. That kind of defeats the purpose of this segment. But when you consider chemical abortion and IUDs and IVF and all the places where nobody's even tried to count, even assuming it was possible. Wait, is, is there anything we can count just to get an idea? Yeah, okay. We could start with Planned Parenthood's own reporting. <sighs> if you can't trust Planned Parenthood, who can you trust? Back in 1999, they published a report called The Incidents of Abortion Worldwide and said, quote, Worldwide, about one-fourth of the approximately 180 million pregnancies known to occur each year are resolved by abortion, unquote. And even in that document, they admitted that the information they had from many parts of the world was sketchy at best. Uh, more recently, science journal The Lancet estimated that between 2015 and 2019, the yearly average of abortion victims was about 73 million which is almost 1% of the world's population. The current total number of abortions reported by the Guttmacher Institute is 1.6 billion. Wait a second. Well, why didn't did we just say that at the top? That's not so hard. 1.6 billion is a number, the number. We've been acting like we weren't going to get a solid number on this. It's not solid because it doesn't include abortions through hormonal birth control. Wait, you mean like they're not counting IUDs or hormonal birth control? Nope. Or the pill or anything like that? Negatory. Oh, well, you know what? Maybe we shouldn't count hormonal birth control stuff. Why not? Because it's just depressing, man. Yeah, you're right. Uh, plus, people might not even agree with us that chemical abortion is a big thing, which is dumb because it totally is. 
We talked last episode about how chemical abortion was the thing before surgical abortion even started in the U.S. Well, let's drive that point home here because it's something a lot of Christians are misinformed about. Or willfully blind. But Nathan, if we talk about chemical abortion, it'll take us longer to end this segment and we'll never get back to Tim. <laughs> Whatever, Ben. People don't just listen to this podcast for Tim. They listen for me. They listen for Jake. They even listen for the sound effects. Yeah. Uh, what about... Well, let's talk in a little bit more detail about how hormonal birth control and IUDs work. I should say, though, at the outset that we're not Roman Catholics. We don't condemn all contraceptive measures, period. That is a subject for another podcast, Nathan Olchem. Yes, you are correct. But we do, of course, condemn abortifacient birth control. Speaking of which, did you know that 61% of U.S. women from ages 15 to 49 used some kind of birth control in 2019? And close to half of them used birth control with an abortifacient agency. By which we mean, once again, IUDs and hormonal birth control, both of which can prevent implantation like we talked about previously. Just to be very clear, when a sperm joins an egg, a little human life is created. In the normal course of events, that little baby travels down the fallopian tube and snuggles up in the lining of his mother's uterus. If you disrupt that process, it's murder. Just as surely as if you stopped a scuba diver from reaching his oxygen tank or denied a born baby food or water. Many Christians agree with all that in principle, as they should, but then they claim, hey, it's not true that IUDs and hormonal birth control prevent implantation. Which is just wrong. Yeah, you don't have to look far. The National Center for Biotechnology Information, which is a part of the National Institutes of Health, says, and I quote, The hormones in contraceptives don't only prevent ovulation, some also prevent fertilized eggs from implanting into the womb, unquote. And the American Society for Reproductive Medicine on their website, reproductivefacts.org says that one of the things hormonal contraceptives do is, quote, they make the lining of the uterus, womb, thinner to prevent a fertilized egg from attaching itself, unquote. So it's really simple. It's not the only thing that happens with these forms of birth control, but one thing that definitely can happen is that a fully formed human being made in the image of God is not allowed to attach to his or her mother and so she dies. I mean, nobody's hiding this. That's just what these things do. But people do hide it because they just blatantly claim these forms of birth control aren't abortive fashion. Yeah, they either just outright lie or they define abortive fashion in some lame kind of sneaky workaround way. Sure, you can make terms mean whatever you want. If you're a liar, you can claim all kinds of things. But the actual science isn't in dispute, even among the pagans. Right. If you care about a fertilized embryo and don't think we can play God and decide when it becomes human, then you just can't use drugs like the pill. Same thing for IUDs. You can certainly find literature, like Nathan just said, that bends terms and tries to pretend that IUDs don't prevent implantation. Right, but Planned Parenthood themselves says on their website that putting in the right kind of IUD will be, quote, more than 99% effective when used as emergency contraception. Well, if we can't trust the people in the business of killing babies to know what works, who can we trust, I ask you? Well, this is the hidden world of embryonic human life. We have to understand it. Nathan, old chum, is an embryo really a human? Oh, Ben, we're going to get to that later in another episode, actually. So let's not get sidetracked on that right now. The larger point is that if you do count chemical birth control as you should, it's really kind of impossible to count how many little lives have been snuffed out total. I mean, I mean, what would we even begin to say, Ben? 
Well, it is very hard to say, and I'd encourage you, listener, to take a look at the abortion statement by Evangel, and you'll see that there's various sections analyzing statistics about the pill and about IUDs, about the babies they've killed in the U.S. and in the world, but you just have estimates on the lower end and the higher end. I think suffice to say that when you put these estimates together, the lower end is millions of babies killed before implantation in the U.S. And the higher end is even more millions of babies killed before implantation. And when you extrapolate that to the worldwide death of little babies, little embryos, because of these chemical and hormonal birth control methods, it just grows and grows. And at least two billion after implantation. I mean, that's just a a very rough estimate. That's right. And that's if you're counting um, in vitro fertilization as well. And anyway, and that's a whole nother subject in and of itself. Right. We'll open up a little bit more of this as we go in these episodes. But for really detailed analysis, do look at Evangel Presbytery's abortion document, which we will link to in the show notes. But we need to get back to Tim. You know, I, I think a lot of people do listen to this podcast to hear him, actually. Just him? Well, also me and Jake. <sighs> All right, let's get back to Tim. Is, is your experience represented? I mean, you were in the PCUSA, which many of our listeners will know mm-hmm. was was stumbling left at that point and was mm-hmm. going into soft liberalism. So were there other people out there that were more on the ball, that were more committed to God's truth? I found, and I am a voracious reader to this day, and I found that the people that I read who were prescient, who were prophetic, who had zeal, who were truthful, who acknowledged their own and other people's sins, were almost exclusively Roman Catholics. And what I felt by being in the PCUSA is that I was ahead of the game with evangelicals in the PCA. Because the minute I saw it in evangelism, the PCA, I knew what it was long before anybody else did because I had fought it in its out and loud capacity in the mainline denomination. And so what others may have missed is the beginnings of the end, I saw so clearly. So when I went into the PCA in 1991, At General Assembly, they hit the issue of the CRC with whom they were in fellowship, deciding to ordain women. I knew exactly what was going to happen, which was what was presented at the first to be, well, let's allow the churches that would like this option to have this option. And I knew exactly what was going to happen, which was it would become mandatory. And so I think what happened was by going into the PCUSA and also having a dad who was not afraid to poke holes in hot air, from the very beginning, I knew that as with birth control, so with abortion. It was rife across the most conservative churches. It was in the congregation. It was in our families. It was everywhere. And the same thing is true of feminism. The same thing is true of adultery. How do you describe what makes you into who you are? (laughs) This large, full city block, rich, huge, sophisticated Presbyterian church that I knew intimately, Seeing them put into leadership a man that was going down to Denver and hiring boy prostitutes, seeing that the wife of one of the elders was committing adultery, and she was in leadership in that church. And I was only there for a short time, and I just saw the horror morally of that church and the fact that 
It had a reputation as one of the leading evangelical churches in the country. My experience has been over and over and over again finding abortion and adultery and every kind, sodomy, child abuse, fathers raping. My experience has been that pastors today think that their job is to hide these things and not to love the people in their church by giving them a place to confess their sins and to be forgiven. And sometimes I even wonder whether pastors have ever experienced the forgiveness of God, because they seem to have such little faith in it. And so with abortion, I really do look at abortion as just being a manifestation, a particularly horrible one, but just a manifestation of the, of the incapacity of the people of God in this country, at least, to show their faith in our God who forgives sins. They talk about it. They yap about it, but why are they unwilling to preach to the conscience? Why are they unwilling to preach the law of God? Why do they caricature the preaching of the law of God as hell and fire and brimstone preaching? And that's not my experience of the grace of God. My experience is it's through the law that I have the vision of the nature, the perfections of God and his mercy and his grace and his justice that Jesus had to die. And it is the only thing that can satisfy me. But it seems like evangelicals and conservative reform people today are satisfied with the most trivial things. And it's not that they're pro-abortion. They all pay lip service to being opposed to abortion, opposed to pornography, opposed to adultery. But then you see people suffering under besetting sins in their congregations who are trembling with fear that they'll be caught. It doesn't even seem to occur to them that God has given the keys, the power of the keys, to the shepherds of the flock to heal the sheep. And one of the places you see this most clearly, just imagine any conservative reform person today at the table of our Lord right before it's served, fencing the table by saying, now some of you are using birth control and are killing your unborn children regularly by your use of hormones. And this is a terrible violation of the Sixth Commandment. Can any of you even conceive of that being said in the most conservative Reformed churches in no, our country? No, no, no. <laughs> start, start with the you. Get rid of that. Then there's the subject matter. All right. Say <laughs> us. Some of us. Although as a man, you know, it's hard to talk Some. About how about just my some? My womb. <laughs> some. One is sometimes tempted <laughs> to wonder. Yes. <laughs> if others... Might indeed, I suggest to you that one possible It violation. is suggestible. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> To support the world we made and the writing and speaking of Tim Bailey, please give at patreon.com forward slash out of our minds. To support Warhorn Media more generally, you can make a tax deductible donation at warhornmedia.com forward slash give. And don't forget to rate and review, subscribe and share. Thanks and God bless. Thanks.